You have located Geekfest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. So, I mean, what's the story? I mean, you got a guy or? Yes, three big ones and they less went blood. Her name is Samantha Baker, and today is her 16th birthday. Red, she's gotten her boobies. Oh, <laughs> I'd better go get my magnifying glass. They forgot my birthday. Classic. This is the single worst day of my entire life. Universal Pictures presents... <laughs> Scar, a direct hit. 16 Candles. <laughs> It's your birthday! It's my mother too! The story of a girl who's stuck with a guy who's driving her crazy. Nice manners, babe! And stuck on a guy she's crazy about. Who's Jake? Jake Ryan? Jake's my boy! Jake is a senior, and he's beautiful and perfect. He doesn't even know you exist. He smiles at me and I don't say anything. Can't believe I'm such a jerk. You quit feeling sorry for yourself. It's bad for your complexion. You know Samantha Baker. Catch her looking at me a lot. It's kind of cool the way she's always looking at me. Maybe she's retarded. What's happening? The hot stuff. His name is Long Duck Dong. Nothing could shock me anymore. Underpants. Can I borrow your underpants for ten minutes? Girls underpants. Rock and roll rubbish. Everybody in this family has just gone totally at her limits. You guys, you just gotta be cool. You just gotta chill out and just be cool. Just watch me. Why, you little scuzzbag. I'll let you take Carolyn home. She's so blitz, she won't know the difference. Jake, I don't have a car. You can take mine. I gotta get out of here before anything else terrible happens. She's stuck between a half-wit. Very hot! Very hot! And a heartbreaker. I want a serious girlfriend. Somebody I can love. It's gonna love me back. Pretty intense, huh? Over. Everyone she knows is either on her case. You know you're the one I want to bug, huh? Or out of their tree. Bonsai! It only happens once in a lifetime. This has got to be a joke. And once is enough. Happy birthday, Samantha. This is getting good. 16 Candles. Hi, everybody, and welcome once again to GeekFest Rants. My name is Carlos Perrone, and today we're going to talk about comedies. We're going to go through a number of very mostly popular comedies that I've grown up with, that I love a lot of them. But these are comedies that might be considered outdated. And that is obviously, you know, a very subjective way of looking at them. Comedies that don't hold up, but not necessarily that they don't hold up because they're not funny, is because they have something that just doesn't fit 
with today's standards of what is considered to be not only funny, but acceptable. So let's begin to explore this subject of outdated comedies. What did I teach you? You are the Duke of New York. You're a number one. You will not laugh. You will not cry. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Can you dig it? Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. That's spawn of Satan. <laughs> oh, really? The force will be with you, always. All right, let's get started with our topic today, and that is comedy films that could be considered outdated. Uh, Now, when you deal with the realm of something being outdated, a film being outdated, there's a little nuance there as to what exactly one is talking about. It's possible for a film to be considered outdated when it just doesn't hold up because it's just not funny, or at least in this time of this period in history. It just doesn't hold up. You've heard that term, hold up. It doesn't hold up. Now, what we're going to look into today is films that might not hold up based on the moral norms, I guess, of the time. You could call it the political correctness of the time, how politically correct we are or are not, or were or were not. Now, these are movies that, in my case, were movies that either I still love them and consider them very funny movies that were kind of acceptable and like kind of like yeah okay whatever another just another movie but the type of movies that at the time and and many of this for at least for me i would be it would be considered like the early 80s or the mid 80s i had seen and i had never made that connection things that are somewhat insulting now back then were like kind of like yeah whatever you know, not, not not necessarily that insulting, at least in my view. Granted that the people that they're making fun of in these films most likely would have been insulted any time that that kind of a joke would have been made. Now, is it that one is becoming more aware of the sensitivities of other people? Yeah, that's that's probably one thing you could you know you it is conceivable that you've grown you have emotionally and intellectually grown through the years i hope people do and don't just kind of revert to being children <laughs> which seems to happen a lot when it comes to sensitivities and that sort of thing people as they get older and I, I do notice that way way a lot especially in the area where i live they seem to have this to hell with everything attitude of i'm old i don't care anymore you know, my children are grown and out of the house, so why should I care about anything other than myself? You know, there's a lot of that when it comes to living near, you know, a retirement community. Uh, you get a lot of that attitude. But, you know, if this world was comprised of retirees, <laughs> then it would be a very different world. But no, you know, you have young people, you have adults, you have middle-aged people, and then you have senior citizens. So, when you're looking at the entire gamut of, of ages and what is acceptable when it comes to films, especially comedies, because that's what we're going to focus on today is comedies. Um, there, there, there seems to be a number of films that 
if they were to be made today, they probably couldn't be made or wouldn't be made because of us being more sensitive and more respectful, if you will, of other people's feelings. Now, comedies, because of the nature of being a comedy and any subject having to do with comedies, usually gets a bigger pass than anything else. So, for example, if you were making a drama or a science fiction film or a horror film or anything like that, they don't cut as much slack as they would if you are doing a comedy. Comedy can kind of get away with it a little more because comedy has the benefit of trying to be satirical. And in the process of being satirical, you could say, well, I'm being sarcastic. In other words, I'm saying a very offensive thing or a very racist thing or a very sexist thing because I'm being sarcastic to the audience. It's the trying to pretend that this doesn't really matter or something is not offensive when it's really super offensive. So there's that at play. However, I know for a fact that there is a lot of, there a lot of times, not only in comedies, but just in life in general, you know, people try to use sarcasm as a way to let their racist, sexist points of view seep in through a conversation just so you can't accuse them of being those things. It's kind of like a reverse psychology approach. Now, granted, for a movie, you really have to be <laughs> kind of nuts to be able to take that approach. However, in as far as how sarcastic or how witty people are trying to be in a movie, some of these things that kind of worked in the past really don't work now. Or do they? I'm not sure. So let's look at some of these films. What I did is I went through, usually you go online and, you know, from the ones you remember from memory, there's some fantastic films out there and some very memorable ones, but then there you forget about the other half. So I did one of those searches and you ended up with a list of all these, all these comedies that more or less probably would not be made today because of the rewrites that it would require, you know, to get some of this stuff done. The grandfather of them all, the granddaddy of them all, I think, would be Blazing Saddles which is considered to be a classic. It is a classic. I don't care how you slice it. You know, maybe in another 30 years, I'll change my mind, but I'll probably be dead in another 30 years. Well, let's say in another 10 years, maybe. I don't know. But all I'm saying is that I find Blazing Saddles just as funny as I did when I first saw it. It holds up. This movie holds up no matter what. Now, there's a lot, and I mean a lot of racial humor in this film. The N-word gets dropped every now and then as part of the jokes. Now, granted, the heart of the film, the whole point of this film is to point out racism. So it's set in the West, you know, so you already have the, the makings. It's a post-Civil War West. So you, you have the elements. Uh, one of the writers is Richard Pryor. This is a 1970s film. His comedy is very racial and very explicit, and the N-word is there every other <laughs> second. So it's no shock that this is the type of humor he would write. Then you have Mel Brooks, the creator of this film, and how he crafts, for a very long period of time, how he was crafting his films. They were satires. They were complete satires. So you are going to find a lot and a lot of racial jokes in 
this film that you could kind of say that they're excusable because they're being they're being making fun of they're they're making fun of the situation they're pointing it out they're pointing out the absurdity and the ridiculousness of people who support that kind of activity on the other hand mel brooks also has jokes that are not necessarily the purpose of that film so in other words in blazing saddles i remember there's a whole thing with mongo or the bad guys they're kind of like uh, you know, what are your qualifications? And they're like, well, we like to rob and steal and rape and blah, blah, blah. And granted, the point of this film has nothing to do with respect of women. It's This is about a, it's really racial relations or racial attitudes. But to throw in a line that where we like to, you know, uh, I like rape. It's like, it, it's a quick line. It gets a quick laugh because of its obvious sarcasm. But Again, it's kind of like, now, could you get away with a line like that in a movie? Probably not. That's just a little a little too much. Now, granted, you can turn up the sarcasm to kind of make the point that that's not what you mean. You're talking about the opposite. but And you're describing, how, you know, these ridiculous, you know, stereotypical villains. You know, okay, I kind of get that. But then on the other hand, you're like, yeah, but still, you know, you get that, you get that yep, I still moment a lot <laughs> when you think about these things. But yeah, a movie like that would not easily be made today exactly in that manner. But with that said, sometimes they do. One of my guilty pleasures, if you will, comedies, and I like to mention also ahead of time that a lot of these movies that we're talking about today are going to be movies that I remember watching on HBO because it was HBO had this thing back in the 80s where, again, depending on how you saw HBO, you know, how you got it. Was it a cable? Was it a, a microwave antenna, you know, hanging out of your fire escape, <laughs> which is how I used to watch HBO. But the programming for HBO was that, yes, you they had their big movies, especially R-rated stuff were only play at night. But during the day, they would just pack it and pack it with junk, like not the best quality stuff. But there was there was a whole bunch of like weird stuff in there during the day. Uh, you know, what would we consider the, the Beatles movies? But anyway, there's two movies I remember I would watch on HBO every now and then that, that I like them. And, and I don't know why. And they both start George Hamilton, which... Why George Hamilton? I don't know why George Hamilton. I don't know why. But all I know is that he did a parody of a vampire film and a parody of a Zorro film. So let's talk about the vampire film first. He did Love at First Bite. And again, you could kind of say this was a, could it be a poor man's Mel Brooks film? Um, maybe you could kind of say that. I mean, Mel Brooks doesn't get to own the 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 parody genre, but he was amazing at it. You know what I mean? So... I'm sure parodies were being made left and right, some more successful than us. Obviously, this one not being a, you know the most successful one. But I do remember how funny it was, uh, you know, of him trying to go through the traditional steps of the vampire and, uh, you know, all the main characters, Renfield and, and Van Helsing and Mina, you know, all the main characters, but being brought to a modern time in a comedy. And one of the most unusual ways that this film kind of like is odd is again by bringing him to the city and the idea of bringing him to the city is bringing him to new york and this is the late 70s so new york has this reputation of being a cesspool basically of crime and this and that you know super rich and super poor living together you know that kind of thing and 
they do play off quite a bit on the way to display poverty and crime is to have scenes with black people. And that's what happens in this film is that they create these scenarios, these scenes where, you know, he's interacting with street thugs, if you will, and how he handles them. And they're all black. So it's like, whoa, nowadays you're like, you know, nowadays you do notice that, that they don't always make, you know, automatically anything like press that crime button, boom, you press the button and out pops a black individual. No, nowadays they try to be more diverse in criminals and what they look like. But yeah, this is from a time where when you had to display that, the first thing that people thought of was, especially, I imagine people even in the in, in other parts of the country, whether it's in LA or in the Midwest or wherever, if somebody said big city crime, boom, New York black, boom, that, that was the go-to place. And here they use it. Now, granted, again, anybody can hide behind the... Well, it's satire. We're just making fun of it. It's like, yeah, I get it. I understand that. That's always going to be the go-to defense for anything like this. There's also a scene where Dracula, as a bat, is trying to get into somebody's house to bite them or something. And they go into a Hispanic apartment. And in the Hispanic apartment, you have like 10 people living in one room. And they all try to eat the vampire, the bat. Instead, they kept calling it a black chicken. Look, it's a black chicken. Which, again, I, I still, I mean, it's one of those situations where it's it's funny, but it's also stereotypical. They're saying, all right, here's your representation of Hispanics. Well, when you have Hispanics, you're going to have 10 of them in a small room and nothing to eat. And they're starving, so they're going to eat the first thing that comes, you know, out the window. <laughs> so that's what they're, again, they're just trying to make a joke. It's just funny. Yeah, it's funny. It is funny. But it's just also Pretty racist, too, if you think about it. There's a scene in this film also where he's handed, uh, the, the Dracula is handed a magazine, which is supposed to be a knockoff of, I guess, Cosmopolitan or something, a woman's magazine. And some of the articles there, they say, uh, are listed as cheating on your honeymoon can be fun. Okay, that's a funny little quirky thing. But then there's one that says, how to get your gynecologist to tear up your bill by accusing him of rape in the office or something like that. And it's very quick. And you're like, what, what, what was that? Again, it's a rape joke. There is such things as rape jokes, even back then, especially back then, it would be a punchline. But then the following scene, he is actually reading those titles. And he's kind of like reading the joke to you in case you didn't see it the first time. And it's kind of like pounding on it. It's like, wow, that's interesting that they want to kind of, again, this is also 17, I think the movie came out in 79. So there's this over layer here of kind of like, um, it's like the, the end of women's lib. And it's a point where they're kind of almost saying, you know, women's lib went over the top a little bit too much. So they're kind of poking fun at, you know, the lead here in this film, the female lead, which is supposed to be a super independent woman. So they're kind of pushing that to the extreme in a way, I think. Anyway, the other film that you can kind of pair it up with this one is Zorro the Gay Blade, which is another parody that George Hamilton made. I don't know if this was a period where he was like, hey, let's just keep doing these kind of films. And I don't know if he went, I don't think it went beyond these two films. But Zorro the Gay Blade, again, that's another one of these HBO films. I remember they would play them endlessly and it's parody of zorro but in this particular take of zorro is that zorro 
and, and I'm sure it's been done before. I mean, again, I'm not entirely too familiar with the legend of Zorro in terms of how it's been portrayed or how it started or whatever. But what you're dealing with here is it's 50 years after the original Zorro. So Zorro is delivered a, um, a box with all the Zorro gear from his father, I guess his late father, and um, him or his brother to pick up the mantle and protect, you know, the, the peasants and the, the, the country and all that stuff. You know, the typical, you know, pick up the sword and fight type of thing. Well, Zorro does that, George Hamilton. Then he injures himself and his brother comes to visit and his brother is not the type of person that the Diego character is. His brother, well, again, it's played by him. All, you know, George Hamilton plays both characters. You know, they do the trick of the split screen or the different camera shots. But anyway, his brother is very like an aristocratic, very British. His face is very white, like powdered white, like an aristocratic version of the same guy. But he is very, very feminine, and his name is Bunny Wigglesworth. I mean, you just cannot you cannot make this up. It's just so ridiculous, and the way he acts and the way he talks. Now, I don't think, if I remember right, I don't think the film ever makes a point of this is a gay character. In other words, I, it is very stereotypical in the manner that they're portraying him. However, they're also not portraying him I would say in a purposely romantic situation, there is a scene where he dresses up as a woman to trick the uh, the governor or the alcalde. I forget the, what what his title was, the, the 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 main bad guy. But he's not doing it because he's interested in him. He's doing it to trick him because of the plan that they're you know hatching up, and it's just unusual that you know they don't seem to kind of go all the way with the insults but i could see how easily it is something that's very could be considered very insulting off the bat because that's not that's it's, it's the name of the movie it's the fact that you're dealing with two characters they're just not pounding it you know with a hammer over your head when the Diego Zorro, you know, he's wearing the black outfit the tr- tr- traditional black outfit when the other Zorro who's pretending to be Zorro, comes in. They have him wearing, like, red outfits and yellow outfits and all kinds of weird little tassels all over the... It's 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 implied. It's very, very implied. And again, at this age, I don't think something like that would fly really well, to tell you the truth. But it's kind of funny. And it was funny back then, and it's still kind of funny now to me. Again, give it more time, maybe it won't be as funny. I don't know. You'll have to play it by ear, I guess. Another film that I I took a crack at the other day was The Jerk, the Steve Martin breakout film uh, that got him very, very famous, aside from his SNL and and other television work, stand-up work and all that stuff. He is basically the lovable idiot. If Archie Bunker was the lovable bigot, Steve Martin is the lovable idiot. He's a jerk. He's an idiot. He's a complete buffoon. People fool him all the time. They trick him, and he falls for every stupid thing that ever happens. However, one of the interesting things about this film is that the movie starts off with him living with a very poor black family somewhere in the South, I believe. And granted that they are not portrayed as bad guys in any shape or form. They're not portrayed as criminals in any shape or form like they normally would on some of these other films that you know we talked about. But they are automatically, you know, thrown into the 
poor. This is what black people are. They're poor. And he's raised by them. He's He was adopted. And, and part of the joke of the movie is that he thinks he's black because he's part of that family. He Because he's an idiot, he doesn't understand that he's adopted. I guess eventually he kind of realizes that because they, I think they send him a note. The mother sends him a note explaining to him where he came from and blah, blah, blah. But he's such an idiot, he doesn't understand it. Now, you could say, oh, that's... It's heartwarming that he's such he has such an such a decent heart that he doesn't see race or he doesn't see color. There's even a scene where these mobsters are trying to talk him into buying something and the they actually mention in and again it's in the, I'm going to try to be very careful here. They actually say don't worry, you know, we, we you won't have to worry about this neighborhood or that. We'll get rid of all the n-words. And he's like, "What?" He's like, yeah, well, don't worry. We'll get rid of all of them. You won't have to worry about them. And he's like, I am an N-word. <laughs> and he proceeds. And, and that turns into like a karate scene where he kind of beats them all up because he, you know, they insulted him because he still thinks, again, he, he's in that mentality. But again, you're, this is a comedy. This isn't reality. I, You kind of get what the writer is trying to do here. You know, he's trying to flip the script in terms of saying he is honestly insulted by being called that in that manner because he believes he's that person too. Okay, got it. But still, it's a little too ooh. Now, granted, by the end of the film, again, they flip the script where the his family ends up being rich because of the money he sends them. And they're the ones that are able to rescue him from his poverty, from his... This is a weird movie. This movie reminded me a lot of Scarface and Boogie Nights because it's the rags to riches to rags story of an individual who is so unusual. You know, Tony from Scarface was a criminal. What's his name? Uh, Wahlberg from Boogie Nights was a porn star. Well, the, Steve Martin from The Jerk is just a jerk. He's an, he's a moron. He's a complete idiot. But it has that. The, the story has that. I, I I wonder if 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 any of those other two films were were somehow influenced by this one because I did see that whole. Up and down trajectory of the character. I guess it's nothing new, the, the, the up and down trajectory of a character. But anyway, yeah, this is a movie that overall you could kind of say, yes, th- this could be remade or this could be done in a, in a way. But it would probably most likely avoid, I imagine, any of those racial stereotypes that were very common. You know, again, this is the late 70s, early 80s, that, that period we're talking about. Now... Another staple of the early 80s or the early to mid 80s and maybe even the late 70s was the sex comedy. And the sex comedy are basically, there's so many of them. I remember back then, you take a movie like Porky's. There's a million movies like that. Porky's was the king of the sex comedy. And it's all about teenage kids, men, trying to have sex. Whether for the first time or many times or <laughs> trying to get somebody else to do it or something like that. But that's what most of the plots of these sex comedies. Tom Cruise had a movie. I think he, I forget what it was called, but he was in one of those weird little sex comedies. And Shelley Long was in it too. I forget the name of Cruise. I don't know, whatever. Anyway, so Porky's was one of the big ones. And then you had movies that tapped into that too. In other words, uh, that wasn't the main crux of the movie. But a big portion of the of the subject of the movie had to do with that. You take a movie like um, Revenge of the Nerds, uh, or even to a certain extent, Sixteen Candles, or 
weird science, which we'll, we'll talk about in a, in a minute. But Porky's was the king in terms of, wow, it's an adult comedy with very, very obvious sexual overtones. But one of the things about Porky's is that it really, really, I think, objectified women. And they were they were not real characters. They were more like punchlines. And, and they were either sexual – they were there for a sexual reaction or, or to add a sexual element to the plot of the story, whether they were the, the object of somebody's affection or plan, if you will, or they were morons. They kind of fall into one or two – you know, distinct categories. But yeah, I remember Porky's was one of the big ones for that sort of thing. And then, you know, not only did they branch out, like I said, in making ripoffs of that kind of a movie, but they also tried to make the PG version of this kind of movie with, with the milder ones uh, that, that kind of followed. Now, you also have the, uh, if you can call it a subgenre, of films that are one person pretending to be another person. Okay, Zora the Gay Blade kind of falls under that but it's not really pretending to be someone else it's more a a sexual orientation that is being mocked if you will or exploited if you will but think of a movie like tootsie think of a movie like if you remember one of the boys again one of the boys might fall under the gender thing tootsie is one of these gender films where it's like look how funny it is for a guy to act like a woman. Now, granted, this is nothing new. You can go to Milton Berle all the way to the 50s or God knows how early you can go into the, the, the... There's a whole thing about guys pretending to be women for, for, for an acting kind of role that is apparently hilarious. And, and, and it continued and to, you know, to Mrs. Doubtfire. Okay, guy pretending to be a woman. Got it, got it, got it. I, I get the concept. But in some of these earlier films, there was a lot of stuff where it's kind of like, oh my God, I never thought that could happen. And they don't necessarily have to be pretending to be, and they don't have to be dressing up like a woman to, to make the joke. A movie like Mr. Mom, if you remember with Michael Keaton, it's not just pretending to be a woman, is doing the job that that particular woman was supposed to be doing in that time. So in, in Mr. Mom, if you remember, she has to go to work, so he has to stay home. And it's all about the misadventures of what a poor guy has to go through in order to raise the kids because he never understood, you know, how much work that this woman had, you know, taking care of the house and the kids or whatever. So granted, it is in a way kind of like a a lesson story, but in the process, it kind of turns into, you know, hitting one stereotype after another. Another example in the subject of the sex comedy, I would say, is a movie like Zapped. If you guys remember that, man, that's an old one. That's a, that's an old one. That's with Scott Bayo and Willie Ames. Again, it's a typical teenagery kind of sex comedy. Now, what's interesting is that the, the sex comedies, while they were a staple during that time frame that I talked about, they do seem to come back every now and then. In the 90s, I believe, we had the American Pie films. And then you also had something about Mary. So it's these waves that every now and then kind of come and go. But granted, in the 80s, if you were to try to kind of bring that kind of comedy to the current times... There are certain jokes there that you really couldn't get away with making these days. It just doesn't work. And again, you got to be able to tell the difference between jokes not working because they're dated and jokes that are not working because they're offensive. Some things just are not funny, but not necessarily offensive. But now they've become offensive. They're more offensive. 
keep in mind also that when these films are made, it's not like people are completely oblivious to what's going on. It's it's they they know they're being edgy at the time. They know they're pushing the boundaries of taste, if you will, and. They're trying to, you know, they kind of throw it out there and see what happens. So it is not completely like people are so oblivious. It's like, oh, my God, I can't believe they said that. You know, it's, it's that kind of a reaction that a lot of times, you know, people, now granted, if it's funny, it's funny. It's you, you can't peel away the funny from the offensive parts sometimes because they are so close together that they kind of work together. Now, another gimmicky kind of film also when it comes to a certain specific subject is the pretending to be someone else trope. Specifically, but not necessarily exclusively, but men pretending to be women, men dressed up as women, but not in a transgender sort of fashion. This is more usually having to do with somebody trying to get a job that is going to go for a woman and that person is trying to get that job dressed up as a woman pretending to be a woman. So you have Tootsie, for example. Again, a very popular, a famous, famous film for Dustin Hoffman. But nowadays, it's like, it just doesn't, I don't know, I don't think it works uh, nowadays. You could even say Mrs. Doubtfire. Again, these are all comedies. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, Robin Williams, I mean, it's amazing. Robin Williams was uh, an incredible comic. But really, you're, it, that, that kind of, again, I don't think that kind of comedy would work today. You know, it, it would probably be considered a little, a little bit sexist, a little bit of, well, why would you try to do that? You know, it just doesn't make sense. But... What's also kind of weird is you take a movie like Mr. Mom, if you guys remember Mr. Mom with with Michael Keaton, where instead of him pretending to be a woman, he is taking the role of his wife in terms of her responsibilities as opposed to his responsibilities. She goes to work and he then experiences what it's like to be a mom and hilarity ensues as usual, but it's kind of like, you know... (laughs) Again, the message is supposed to be a very understanding message, but nowadays, I think it would be considered a little insulting of like, really? I didn't know you You had to do this or you had to do that. I am just so clueless about, you know, what you do all day long. You know, that kind of a reaction I think you would get these days. In the early 80s, I, I don't know. It's, I guess you're a little more forgiven because, you know, you're coming off the 70s, which you're coming off the 60s, which you're coming off the 50s, you know, that kind of thing. The farther you get away from that leave it to beaver, you know, father knows best time in our movie or television history, the more you get to more realistic roles of, of how people actually do behave. And yeah, everybody works. Everybody has to work. You don't have this luxury anymore of, well... You might as well stay home, you know, unless you're, you really got a lot of money. You can't really, you know, get away with that. Now, along the line here, there's a couple of films that they kind of fall under a, an odd taboo, if you will, these days. And that is a film like Big. Again, Big was a big film. It was a very popular film. Tom Hanks, you know, another one of his greatest, you know, pre-serious character films. This was more of a fantasy comedy. You know, he, all of a sudden he's a child that inhabits an adult's body. So he's got the mind of a child in the body of an adult as a result of a, a fortune-telling machine or something. But anyway, this movie is a, a little weird because there is a scene, there's a there's a subplot, if you will, of him f- kind of falling in love with somebody. And he's having 
interactions, if you want to say, with an adult woman. But in reality, I mean, you and I know that's Tom Hanks and he's an adult. But in reality of the story, the fictional story, he's a child. So you could kind of say, this is creepy territory now, even though in reality that's not what's going on. What the story is implying is that, yeah, that that, that is what's going on. So, you know, it's uh, it's just a, a little creepy that, you know, nowadays, you know, uh, de- depending on the news of the day, you might want to steer clear of anything, you know, even touching that subject, you know, for comedy, <laughs> for a comedy film. Then you also have a film like Heather's, a very, very good film. I remember I loved Heather's, but Heather's was a black comedy. And when once you're dealing with black comedies and by black comedies, for those who don't know, we're not talking about African-American comedies. We're talking about dark comedies, meaning comedies that are a little twisted, a little extra crazy, <laughs> dark, dark sense of humor. Have you ever hear that expression? Well, the, the, there is a subgenre of dark comedies where it almost borders into horror, how you have a movie that's supposed to be funny, but there's some horrific things happening, too. You could call them a horror comedy, but in this case, it's a, it's mainly a comedy that is dark. It's very dark, a black comedy. And one of the subtopics, a very important topic, has to do with a school being shot up by a kid, I think, killing some students or something. And some students are being killed uh, or dying in the, in, in the school. And again, in this age of school shootings and all that kind of stuff, that just doesn't fly. There's also some jokes about a kid who they think was gay, who they think was killed himself or something. And in reality, in the film, the kid was actually killed because he's, he's supposed to be a bad guy. So we're supposed to not feel bad for him. But there's this whole other layer of insensitivity having to do with sexual orientation, which... You know, it's kind of like, okay, fine. Like you just kind of let it go. But then the more you think about it again nowadays, it just leaves a, just a strange kind of taste in your mouth because it's like, oh, that's just kind of weird. Now, before we approach a little in more detail the gay themes of comedies, let's go back a little bit into the, what we were talking about earlier, some of the sex comedies. And that is, a movie like Revenge of the Nerds, which again, it's these are supposed to be the tamer versions of the, of the more R-rated films. Because once they realized that there was money to be made in, in R-rated comedy, somebody said, well, wait a minute, we can probably make more money if we make a PG or a PG-13 version of a movie like this. Granted, PG-13 didn't come until a little later in the 80s, but that's where you get some of these other movies. Revenge of the Nerds, I don't remember if that was R or I think it was R because I think there was nudity in it. I'm not sure. But again, Revenge of the Nerds, you have also a lot of stuff having to do with guys sleeping, like the nerds who are the good guys, the the nerds, the underdogs, specifically one of them being able to kind of trick one of the sorority girls into sleeping with him and like tricking women into sleeping with them. And that's supposed to be funny at the time because you, you get one over the, the jocks by sleeping with their girlfriend. And yeah, it's, again, back then you're like, okay, it's a, it's a screwball comedy and that kind of stuff just kind of goes again. Now, I, can, I don't think you can get away with it. That's just too much. Uh, there was also, I remember, a character 
who's supposed to be gay in Revenge of the Nerds, that it it was so stereotypically gay. It was over-the-top gay. Every joke, basically, that you could think of, they pretty much played with it here. Now, again, I'm comparing this. You take this movie and you compare it to something like Zori the Gay Blade, which, you know, I, I seem to kind of forgive more. But it, there's something different. There's something different. There's something a little more... I don't know, I would say maybe insulting about a movie like Revenge of the Nerds. In the Zorro film, I don't think it's it's as directly making fun of the individual, because the individual is always, you know, on top of the situation. He's always the, he's the hero. He's the guy who, who bails the, who was supposed to be the hero out of everything, because he comes in and saves the day. And they just don't approach it in the same manner where looking at it now, it just doesn't feel... Now, granted, maybe I'm just being biased because I'm like, I like this film and I forgive one, but I don't forgive the other. What's the difference? I, I, I kind of see a difference for some reason and I maybe I just can't explain it enough. In these other PG-ish kind of films, John Hughes with 16 Candles and John Hughes with Weird Science. You know, John Hughes is a comedy teenage god for us in our you know in our in the 80s Ferris Ferris Bueller and all these other films 16 candles the breakfast club oh my god here's another one but let's go back to 16 candles 16 candles once again has a whole sequence a whole subplot of a couple of kids that are always trying to get laid basically and the things that they are doing and the things that they are you know, that the your, your lead actress gives them their underwear so he can show them to all his friends. You're like, oh, really? Wow. The bad guy, there's not really the bad guy, but the lead jerk in the film, the, the, the jock gives the nerd the drunken girlfriend to kind of take her and do whatever you want with her. And then it's the next day and that, they can't seem to remember what took place. But... There is a very rapey, you know, date rapey kind of vibe going on there. And you really don't think about it too much, you know, in those terms back then. Again, maybe it's because you're a kid. Maybe, you know, these movies came out when I was 16, 17 years old. Maybe now as an adult or maybe later as an adult, when you watch them again, there's a little more responsibility in the way that you're examining it could that be it maybe i don't know that could could be part of it but now you're like whoa that's kind of weird and 16 candles also is notorious because it has a character an asian american character who is one of the funniest characters in the film who is basically doing every single asian stereotype out there. And I've read interviews with him about how he, yeah, at the time, you know, it was just another job. And yeah, it kind of was kind of weird, but the movie's so funny. And, and now looking back, you know, a lot of people do see it as, wow, this is just, you know, they, they even play the gong whenever he appears, perpetuating, you know, these Asian American stereotypes that, that sometimes you, you, you used to find, you know, in films like this. Again, the guy has great lines, very funny lines but it's like oh that's kind of weird <laughs> now you, you you can't do that now weird science another john hughes film 
I never really liked Weird Signs that much, to tell you the truth. I never found it that funny. It was, again, a mild sex comedy. The best thing about Weird Signs is Bill Paxton, because, I mean, you've heard me and my Bill Paxton obsession, but there's a lot in that movie having to do with these guys creating a woman and and how they uh, focus about her enhanced looks. And it's all, like, nonstop sex talk, you know, during uh, the interactions between her and them and, and other people and getting one over on, on everybody and being able to interact and, and act like grown-ups and that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm not a big fan. Again, once you bring Bill Paxton into the film, I all of a sudden I wake up, but it, it, I wasn't really a big fan of that one. The Breakfast Club. I mean, again, this is a classic, classic 80s teenager type of film. Not a sex comedy, but, a, 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 you know, a precursor to all of these heady, you know, what are teenagers feeling? What it's like to be a teenager in high school? You know, that kind of movie. And I remember we, we watched it, and I think my daughter, a teenage daughter, we, we watched it with her. And all of a sudden, there are certain scenes in the movie where we're kind of like looking at each other going like... Oh, this is weird. Oh, this is this feels awkward. Oh my god, this is kind of strange. And she's already used to these new sensitivities that are out there and she's like, "Oh, that's kind of weird." I'm like, "Yeah, that is kind of weird. I don't know why, you know, again, you take the movie. The movie is very funny. The acting is excellent, but there are certain sequences where they are I think Bender is hiding under the desk, you know, Molly Ringwald's desk, and he's kind of looking at her underwear from underneath. Again, it's a funny sequence, the way that it's portrayed. And he's kind of pushing his head on her lap, basically hiding underneath. But everybody is kind of like covering for him because they don't want him to get caught by the principal. But everybody's kind of like, ooh, whatever. And it's funny. And you're like, haha. But you're like, whoa, this is, you know, in reality, if this was real life, this could be considered sexual assault or sexual harassment or he could go to jail for something like that as a student he could get expelled or you know in any shape or form then there was a subplot about what everybody did to get there and they talk about how you know well this is what this guy did and this is what that guy did and the Emilio Estevez character if I remember right he had because he was the jock in order to I guess impress everybody else he had taped he had duct taped the butt of some guy, causing him to hurt himself in the process, I guess, of trying to remove that tape. Again, this is like criminal offense territory. This is this is a little more than just a prank. This is more than just this is like bullying to a certain extent that nowadays you think would cause uh, some serious repercussions. But there's another character played by Anthony Michael Hall, who happens to also be on the other some of these other films. But anyway. When everybody is kind of admitting why they were there for their punishment, for their detention, he, I think, might be in the last one. I think, I don't remember, but he was one of the last ones to kind of admit that the reason he was there was because they found a flare gun in his locker. And the flare gun, he was planning on killing himself. And everybody kind of laughs at the fact that he was going to kill himself with a flare gun. But they don't really address the issue of what's wrong with him and how can they help him or how can this individual get help if he is really considering killing himself? 
So there is a serious moment there that gets treated with comedy that, again, nowadays, I don't think you could do that. It's a punchline. It's treated as a punchline. Everybody's got these serious problems, and this doofus is trying to kill himself with a flare gun. Again, it works comedic-wise back then, and, and, and I'm trying to, as usual, trying to say, how come I liked it, and how come it didn't bother me before, and how come it kind of bothers me now? Is it me? You know, am I just reacting to other people's sensitivities? It's like, no, I, I, I find it weird now. And it also makes me think, I wonder if people had that kind of feeling also, if you were grown up watching, I don't know, 50s movies, 60s movies, and then come the 70s or the 80s, and you start to feel like, oh, these movies are not as funny or as good as I thought they were, because nowadays, that is just not considered appropriate, and I don't feel good watching this, or I don't, you know, I don't get the joke, or I don't find the joke funny anymore. Who knows? Maybe that's part of what growing up is, is, is you, you, you know, you're, you're expanding your mind, you're growing, not just physically, but you're growing mentally. And you, your senses, you know, your sensitive senses, if you will, also expand. You develop more empathy, which is an interesting word, giving our, our political situation over the last few years, a complete lack of empathy that we've been feeling over things. But Having more empathy is something that maybe people naturally should have as they get older. I don't know. Maybe. In this realm of, of examining these films, there's a couple of other films I want to talk about that are the... They're not exactly kind of like Tootsie pretending to be an, a woman type of stories. Because with Tootsie, you also have... There's a movie called Just One of the Guys, which is the reverse. It's a woman pretending to be a guy. And again, HBO would play these films endlessly and it was like oh look how funny oh she's pretending oh see she's wearing very baggy clothes to hide everything and blah 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 and this and the other and it's like is it offensive no i i don't know it's it, i didn't see it as offensive and and it's just awkward it's just a very awkward kind of movie but the twist on this kind of subject is the when we get to racial things is the white character pretending to be black so Let's talk about Soul Man. Soul Man, again, 1980s film. C. Thomas Howell from The Outsiders. You know, he's done work. He's kind of had a slight resurgence lately. He's done a lot of work. So he's a guy that's trying to get a scholarship by being black, taking advantage of a black scholarship by painting himself black in blackface. Again, this is a movie that would definitely not only not fly today, but even back then, I think they were walking on very thin ice. Definitely not a hit, not a blockbuster at all. But they're kind of playing on the reverse kind of, uh, let's see what that feels like kind of scenario. And it's just a series of awkward scenes of, well, how would he react to this? And how would he act during this? Or how would he react doing that? Granted, it is supposed to be a what it feels like to be this person kind of message, uh, as opposed to a, an insulting, <laughs> disrespectful film. But I, I don't think there's a way you can watch that film now and just say, fine, it works, it's perfectly fine. No, it just feels very, very awkward. However, sometimes you can get away with it, depending on who 
is the person involved in the scene. So just like I said with a movie like Blazing Saddles, where the star of the film is black, where the writer of the film is black, when they're making fun of racists, in other words, it's the opposite. They're they're playing it up in reverse of how awful it is to be treated that way by pointing it out in a comedic fashion. That works. Take a movie like Silver Streak, a comedy with Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor now is the co-star. And there's a scene in that movie where they're supposed to be hiding, I think, from some bad guys or something. They're trying to get to a train, I think. So they go to the bathroom and they pretend that Gene Wilder is black so they can dress him up a little bit and change the skin color so he kind of blends in with the crowd and they're not looking for somebody who looks like Gene Wilder. So Richard Pryor is helping him paint his face, gives him a hat, and and they go through these lines of say these words or say it more like me or say it more black, be more black, that kind of thing, which, yeah, it's funny. It's, it's very funny. And I would say probably because of the fact that Richard Pryor is there helping him with these things, and it is part of the story, and it is part of what they're trying to do. If you take away Richard Pryor and put in some other regular actor, you know, a non-black actor, and you try to do that today, it would just be awful. It would be, people would just freak out because it doesn't work. You know, there is that whole thing that argument that always happens of, well, you know, if you're black, you can bring up certain subjects, you can say certain words, you can talk about certain stereotypes, because it's you. So you kind of, you know, you own it. So you're allowed, you get a free pass, that kind of thing. It's, it's the, you know, every Spike Lee film, you know, he delves usually into, into racial matters. Very few White directors or actors can kind of get away with it. The only exception I would say is Quentin Tarantino. He writes very explicitly at times racial material and he doesn't seem to get in trouble for it because I don't know. It works and I cannot, I can't give you an explanation. Why does it work? Is it because he has usually a number of African Americans in the cast and they like him and they like the way he writes? You know, does he get a pass? I don't know how or why, but I, you know, I am a fan of his work. I love Tarantino work. Now, on that subject of blackface, if you want to call it blackface, which is another hot button topic when it comes to to filmmaking or even television or even morons who dress up like that for Halloween and then get in trouble for it and then they have no excuse for it. Take something like Tropic Thunder. Tropic Thunder is a film, let's see, Robert Downey Jr. before he was Iron Man, Ben Stiller, Jack Black, hilarious film. Tom Cruise has an unbelievable scene and role as the uh, the agent of the actor. Incredible. But anyway, going back to Robert Downey Jr., in this film, he plays an actor who is playing a black character, but he does it in character. He's, he's doing it in character. He's doing it in character and he wants to play that character. He is supposed to be like such a method actor that he dyes his skin to play that character. Now that brings up a whole other world of complaints that people have had, rightly so, many times where they do, um, well, whitewashing is kind of the opposite. Whitewashing is when you turn ethnic characters white just because you don't want to deal with having to hire 
ethnic characters. But the other side of whitewashing is also when you give white actors ethnic roles and you alter their look because you just insist on having this one actor playing an ethnic character. And that's when you end up with problems. Even today, every now and then, you hear some stories where so-and-so is playing this character, but this character is originally black, or this this character is originally Asian, or whatever, and then you don't want to end up with a situation like in the, uh, you know, in the 50s, or the 60s, or the 70s, where you have, like, uh, John Wayne playing an Asian character, or, uh, you know, doing really weird things to people's eyes so that they look a little different, or, or just going the full blackface method, which, again, it's very, very not acceptable anymore. But with Tropic Thunder, they did also have some backlash to that. Now, granted, the movie is hilarious. The thought of this guy being a method actor, to the extent where he pushes it so far, it works for the movie. But it is a modern example of where you kind of push that too far. There's also a movie called, from the again, talking about Richard Pryor, called The Toy, which I don't know if too many people heard of it, and it starred Jackie Gleason, I think, and Richard Pryor, and it was kind of like this rich guy who buys a person or hires a person to be a toy, uh, something to play with with his rich son. And the movie's about how these two kind of get together and they they eventually love each other and they appreciate each other and, and it's fun and this and that and the other and it's no longer creepy. But no matter how you see it, this is a creepy, creepy premise because it's basically a white rich guy buying a black guy as a gift to his son in the 80s. <laughs> you cannot get around it. And even at this point, even though it's Richard Pryor, it still sounds and feels weird. Even now feels even more weird. It feels a little it felt a little weird back then. Now it feels even more weird. Just the fact that Richard Pryor is in it doesn't give him a pass this time around. It worked in the past, you know, to give him the pass, but not this time. With a movie like that, you just cannot get away with it. The last set of films I want to hit upon are films that have to do with sexual identity, let's say, where we talked a little bit about how Revenge of the Nerds has a gay character that is super stereotypical, Zora the the Gay Blade, different kind of scenario, but I would imagine that, yeah, maybe nowadays somebody could legitimately say, yeah, that's a little offensive too. It is offensive. Mel Brooks, on his films, there have been times where he's had what could be considered gay characters, but as opposed to your black characters, where in Blazing Saddles, the whole racial, you know, racism issue is flipped because they're making fun of the racists. They're making fun of the the bad guys that are supposed to be the people that hate or don't like black people. Again, post-Civil War Western. You know, that's that's what we're dealing with here. He does sprinkle what could be considered gay jokes in some of his films. In Blazing Saddles, even at the end of Blazing Saddles, where they're having this insane chase fight through the the movie studios and they run into a whole scene of people dancing men dancing and it's obvious that they're saying well these are all gay dancers and there's a couple of them where they you know you have your stereotypical behavior if you will portrayed in the film and then they're all fighting and they're just fighting the cowboys the bad guys cowboys and the good guys and they're all you know there's a pie fight and all kinds of craziness but 
they kind of leave or they kind of stay in that tone where they're really not taking the gay character serious. They're using them as punchlines. There is a quick little bit where the bad guy cowboy, you know, the racist, crazy cowboy is getting into a fight with one of these gay dancers and they go into this tunnel or whatever and they come out all friends holding each other. So it's not as if you're portraying the gay character as the good guy or anything. They're kind of implying, oh, well, the only way to resolve that situation was to turn them both the same way. So it's implying that they're both gay now. So does that feel like any kind of justification or any kind of normalizing or making it legitimate what one character is or the other? Not really. They're not addressing the issue. They're just making fun of the issue. A movie like uh, History of the World, there's some really funny stuff, again, very funny, uh, with uh, Dom DeLuise. He plays, I think he plays Caesar, I think, or, or uh, some Roman or Greek, I think he was Caesar, might have been Caesar. And one of his assistants is very flirtatious man, super stereotypically gay, and he's played for laughs. He's completely... It's hilarious. It was funny back then. I still find it funny now. But even I can tell that it's like, it's funny. But if somebody was sitting next to you who was gay, they might not like that. They might not find it funny. They might find it offensive. Even people that are not gay and that are of this age, people that are, they weren't brought up in the 80s. They weren't brought up in the 90s. They were brought up in the 2000s and forward. They might look at that and go, hey, that's kind of it's kind of offensive. It's just, this character is a complete stereotype. And it's like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> you know, you get that out of some of these older characters. But what this brings us to is some of these other films where either you're dealing with characters that might be trans. I believe if I remember the article, they talked about Crocodile Dundee, where, you know, he's the fish out of water who comes to the city for the first time. And he's a country boy from, you know, from um, Australia and to New York City. Again, stereotypical New York City. And I, I don't remember this, but I did read in the uh, in the article, there was a scene apparently where he's not sure if this person is a guy or a woman, but it looks like a woman. And he kind of grabs their crotch to feel what's going on. And you're like, whoa, that's... That's just not, <laughs> I don't think that's right. But again, traditionally, people that were trans were way beyond or way behind even people that are gay, which is behind people that are black. In other words, there's always this kind of like an acceptability ladder. And you have, you know, black people always trying to get to a certain level where they you know, people stop being racist towards them. But there's always somebody behind trying to get at least to that point. So just as, for example, blacks become more acceptable to white America in the, let's say, 70s or 60s and 80s, you know, you have more representation in television and film, you know, the Jeffersons, you have uh, the Cosby Show, you have super, you know, Famous athletes, comedians, Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor, all these amazing performers on television that certain things are not moving as fast. So, for example, while 
people in the 60s and 70s and 80s are still making fun of gay people. They're not making as much fun of black people, but it's always on delay. Everything seems to be on a delay. So little by little, I would say in the 90s, gay people were becoming more acceptable on television and film, you know, television shows, Ellen, for example, which forget the disaster that's going on with her career now, but shows like Ellen, Will and Grace, you know, stuff like that, where all of a sudden it's just there and it's not scaring people the way that it used to scare people away. The issue of trans individuals is still behind. It's still kind of catching up. And right now, I mean, with political and social things going on having to do with being able to use bathrooms and this and that, you know, it's still trying to catch up. You you know, everything is still progressing, but it's still a little behind. So these movies would represent that sort of thing. That kind of an incident with Crocodile Dundee in the 80s, yeah, I remember when you had characters that were trans, for example, in film, it was usually a bad thing in terms of it was usually the killer in a movie or some weird a prostitute that got caught by the cops or fooled somebody into thinking they were someone else. You know, it, it, it was usually a very negative connotation to that kind of a character. In the past, you know, they could make fun of it. It was usually made fun of. There was never a connection. But yeah, again, just like all other issues, whether the issue of African-American, where the issue of gay, little by little, those kind of representations in film and television started to become a little more acceptable. Now, the issue of gay, yeah, that's changed a lot. And I and that's one that I've seen. I've seen it change a lot. I've seen the gay connotation being a, a stereotypical thing to make fun of or a punchline in a lot of these movies. In the article, they cite the movie Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf was the was Michael J. Fox's follow-up to Back to the Future. F- Back to the Future being the most wholesome, American fun, you know, um, time travel film ever made. I love, absolutely love it. And his follow-up, I believe, was Teen Wolf. Uh, not as popular, not as famous, but it was a fun little comedic horror, if you want to call it, because it's based on a werewolf. But there's a scene where he's telling his best friend, you know, that he has a problem and he has an issue that he wants to tell. He wants to get something off his chest. And his friend is like, what, are you gay? And and he's like, no, no, I'm not gay. I'm a werewolf. You know, ah, ha, ha, ha. so there's the punchline. But I do remember that that kind of joke set up and then you take the joke. That's something I remember hearing even myself from other people, from other friends of mine, where you would throw in the what are you gay comment as a comeback or as a, uh, as, a as a punchline to, to kind of throw the person off. But I always, I remember I was saying this, I remember when I was talking about the um, toxic fandom episodes that I did a while back of how, you know, substitute the word gay with black. And it's like saying to somebody, what are you, black? And you're like, even back then, I don't think you could say that or you, you, your mind would say, whoa, I just, I just insulted somebody. But throwing the gay comment back then didn't seem to be an insult at the time. It just didn't click. And now forget it. Now it's like, whoa, you can't say that. I mean, there's always going to be something that we are just not in tune right now, I think, that when you throw it out there as a joke for a television show or a movie, it just doesn't work anymore. It's dated. It's offensive. 
I remember HBO, again, a lot of this is from HBO that I remember, had a movie called Partners, which was a, a, a film that went to cable with John Hurt and Ryan O'Neill. They were like undercover cops. One cop, John Hurt, was the gay cop, and Ryan O'Neill was the straight cop. But the straight cop had to pretend to be gay because they were undercover to try to catch somebody in that community, let's say. And the movie is just an endless parade of stereotypical situations. They did try, and they do try, I remember, to to make it as if kind of like, well, look the other way, because these two, they just love each other because they're partners, and not in a romantic sense, but they, they just care for each other so much. So they do try to give you that message. However, before getting to that message, you have the hour and a half of stereotypical gay punchline jokes, you know, to get you there. So this is a topic that I think will always continue because you're always going to have these films that are in a way groundbreaking at the time. It's like, you, oh, my God, this is I never knew there was a comedy this funny that could be made today, you know, and they do get made. But you also have to be careful because there are times and, and again, my theory is that a lot of it has to do with your age uh, when you're very young. You, you're not very aware of these things. But it's so interesting how now kids are more aware of it than I was when I was their age. But I think it also depends on your upbringing and who you're hanging out with. Because I could picture, especially in this area where I live, I could picture so many kids that I've seen acting and behaving and reacting to these type of movies in a completely insensitive manner. Luckily for me, you know, not to pat my own back, but at least my kids seem to be a little more progressive than I was when I was their age. And granted, they're being brought up by my values these days. What I, like I said before, what I would consider to be a more enlightened, a little more progressive, a little more aware, a little more empathy in the way that we treat situations around us. But yeah, there's kids around here that <laughs> forget it. They're, they're going to be 20, 30 years behind in terms of being able to react in a very social manner, you know, without looking like they came from a different era, without looking like they were brought up in the, in the 60s or the 70s or the 80s. Completely, completely different. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed today's topic. There's going to be, like I said, more films that are going to keep coming out. And I'm sure there's even more films that we could use as examples. But this at least gives you a, a little look back. And if you're my age, try doing that. Try watching some of these films again. Not just remembering them. Because, yes, you do have this list on your head of, oh, these are my favorite films. I used to love this film. But try to watch some of these films sometimes. And try to watch them with maybe even with people that are young to see how they react to it. Or even maybe your spouse or somebody who's with you, do they find them as funny? Do they find certain things offensive that they didn't find offensive before? It's an interesting, very interesting little exercise in what still works with film and television and what is dated and what's offensive and what's not. All right, I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. We did something a little different. We took a deep dive into comedies that might not be able to hold up after a number of years. It's funny because the more you think about it, the more that some of these comedies come up that, you know, you, you have such fond memories of. But then when you watch them, 
with a fresh pair of eyes, a fresh pair of more mature eyes, they're either just not funny or not as funny, or they could be downright insulting in terms of, you know, whatever morals we have now, whatever standards we have now. And when you reflect on it, you kind of realize how insensitive you might have been at the time for laughing at certain jokes without considering that those jokes might not be very nice. <laughs> and I know when it comes to comedy, as I mentioned during the show, it's a very gray area. Uh, satire, you can get away with so much more than you can on any other genre, like drama. But still, I found that in my example when I was watching The Breakfast Club, which I still love the movie, there were certain parts in the movie where I was just cringing. And I was just like, oh, oh, should should I be really watching this movie with, with my daughter here? You know, it was it was just a very odd feeling of how certain jokes just do not hold up on these more modern times. Just like I'm sure certain jokes didn't hold up, you know, like from the 50s or the 60s when you were watching those movies. It's a very interesting situation, you know, revisiting these films. Uh, that we love so much and I definitely I recommend this try doing that look at all these films that you always consider to be the baseline of the best of what you've grown up with and watch them with a fresh pair of eyes and if possible watch them if you have children watch them with your kids if they're age appropriate and see how do they hold up and, and how do you feel <laughs> about your kids watching them and the type of things that are mentioned in the script. Do they still, you know, to this day hold up? Well, I'd like to thank you guys for joining us today. Thank you for listening, and we will see you soon here at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. Something happening here. I'm coming, man. Don't you die on me, Foley! I'm sorry, can we cut? What is going on here? Hey, I'm about to jump off this, this helicopter like Wesley Snipes. I'm doing the scene right now. Well, I'm see, in the it. scene is about emotionality. Where is it? God, I am dealing with a bunch of prima donnas. The action guy. Who left the fridge open? Winner. Critically acclaimed Australian actor Kirk Lazarus underwent a controversial procedure in order to play the platoon's African-American sergeant. I know who I am. I'm a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. The comedian. You think you can do what I do? Take a picture of this. This summer. I want to make this movie right. We take those boys up there, put them in the trees, shoot the whole thing gorilla style. Real fear in the right. Real of Yes! The movie they think they're making. Exterior, rainforest, dust, cut to a frightening jungle. Isn't a movie anymore. Don't let it make it. So what? This is pretty real! Exactly. Let's use it! Some of us might not make it back. What do you mean? Like, not on the same flight? Who sent you here?
Hey, dude, you all right? Totally lean into that, bro. You want to do one more? I'm leaving, people. What do you mean, you people? What do you mean, you people? Big thunder. To go a lot of trying just to get up that here. No, we up in the big league. That's the theme song for the Jefferson. Ain't nothing wrong with that. You out of your mind. What? You really need help. Man, just because the theme song don't make it not true. If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2020. This broadcast is part of the IC Robots radio network. Visit icrobots.com for this and many other nerd slash nostalgia related podcasts. You won't be sorry for long.